Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting by Heart, looking at principles that we have found helpful in the first 10 years of parenting. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Well, good evening. We're on our third talk on parenting, so we're delighted to have all of you, and why don't we start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can join together one more time on such an important topic. We were born to do this, Lord, as hard as it seems sometimes, because you're also helping us to grow up more through this process. Lead us tonight as we talk and share about these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a little thing on uh, the school of manners, just to take a look at uh, how things change over the years. Now, this is just 300 years ago, but since, you know, there's 4,000 years of recorded human history, that's not really that long ago. And uh, this is what they would teach their children. Sit not down till thou art bidden by thy parents or superiors. Be sure thou never sit till grace be said, and then in thy due place. Offer not to carve for thyself, or take anything first. Find not fault with anything that is given thee. Feed thyself with thy two fingers and the thumb of the left hand. Speak not at the table. If thy superiors be discoursing, meddle not with the matter. If thou want anything from the servants, call them softly. Eat not so slow as to make others wait for thee. Make not a noise with thy tongue, mouth, lips, or breath, either in eating or drinking. I still haven't learned that one, my wife says. Stare not in the face of anyone, especially thy superiors at the table. Grease not thy fingers or napkins more than necessity requires. Forks were not in use then. Bite not thy bread, but break it, but not with slovenly fingers, nor with the same wherewith thou takest up thy meat. Dip not thy meat in the sauce. There's one bowl of sauce in the middle, you know, leave things. Take not salt with a greasy knife, spit not, cough not, nor blow thy nose at the table if it be avoided. But if there is necessity, do it aside and without much noise. Lean not thy elbow on the table or on the back of thy chair. Stuff not thy mouth so as to fill thy cheeks. Be content with smaller mouthfuls. Well, tonight, this is the big topic. We are going to talk about that unmentionable subject that uh, in Spanish they call it cha-chas. Uh, with Walt, we called it a pow-pow, and it is commonly known as spanking or physical discipline. If you're ready with your cell phone to call your lawyer or something, you know, <laughs> I'm taking a chance here. But uh, we've seen some wonderful things as people understand these things better. And I want to really try to get into some of the specifics tonight so that you will not have any doubt as to what uh, we suggest. Uh, you can do whatever you'd like, and because you're the one that will live with the consequences. So we will just share things that have helped us and helped many others, and what we believe is a biblical way to do things. Not the only way, but a way. And a way is better than no way, right? So let's look first at a chart I, I drew up on frequency of physical discipline. There are some that have as their goal never to ever use any physical discipline with their children. There are 
principal goal is to avoid conflict and avoid inflicting pain. The presuppositions backing that up is that spanking is wrong, that the child is, is innocent, and that anything is better than physical discipline, and they assume that if you just hang in there, things will get better. The possible results in that, with, with, on the side of the parent, is since they have no physical way of backing up their word, they just have to have louder and more angry words trying to, with their mouth, do what they're unwilling to do with their hand. It's all, they're often characterized by frustration, manipulation, maybe they resort to bribery. Not necessarily. I'm not saying all across the board. These are just some possible results. The possible results in the child is that the child tends to feel unloved, not having any boundaries, tends to lose respect for the parent, and uh, possibly self-destructs in certain ways in terms of just because they have no restraint other than um, a yelling parent. I saw one case where a child, two years old, climbed up on a chair and was standing up. And the mother told him to get down. And since she was not willing to do anything more than just tell him that, and there were guests there, she just, uh, since he wouldn't respond to her word, then she just began to ignore him. Uh, about a minute later, and dancing around on the chair and showing that he was the boss, he falls off the chair and splits open his forehead. Now, I guarantee you a small amount of physical discipline would have caused a lot less damage to him than falling off that chair on his head. So that's why I say when I say that, use that term self-destructs, it means that a child without restraint is a danger to himself. There are others that, uh, that constantly discipline us, and the... The principal goal there is to punish. It's to teach him a lesson. It's to show him who's boss. The reason for the, uh, the presuppositions for this, behind this, may be, not, again, not always, but that children are to, be, to obey. I have here children are slaves. Maybe that's too strong. They exist to serve the family. They have no rights. The parents are always right now. That's an, obviously an extreme case, so that's not very common, but it does happen, and maybe your parents are like that, I don't know. Another case is almost never uh, physical discipline. The principal goal of the parents might be personal comfort and personal reputation, meaning that they normally would never spank their child unless they just bug them so bad and make their life so miserable that they finally pop and pop them. The presuppositions behind almost never using physical discipline is that spanking is not good, it's not wrong, but it's not the best, and that the child should behave or should be innocent, and you're, you end up being angry that the child messed up your life so much, and you sort of feel like they kind of egged you on and brought you to this point, and you have sort of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde syndrome that normally you're like the Jeffrey's mother at the beginning of the flight, you know, but, but then when things get bad enough, you're like Jeffrey's mother at the end of the flight, what we were listening to with, with Bill Cosby's skit of the mother with the child on the plane. So it's kind of a back and forth kind of thing. And what we'd like to propose is that physical discipline be used whenever necessary, that the principal goals are to reconcile, restore, and to teach. The presupposition is the child is a sinner and needs help, and we must all be submissive, and the parents must model God's love and justice. And the physical discipline is the vaccine against prison. That uh, if we help them when they're little, maybe when they're big, uh, bigger things won't happen to them that will need to correct them. 
the things that possible results in the parent when they will discipline whenever it's necessary. It's taking the time to teach and to discipline, There's, and the parent exercises self-control. And in the child, the child is secure in the parent's love, the child grows in self-control, and the child grows in wisdom. So we're going to talk very specifically about the rod tonight. The word for rod in the Bible is shavit, and it's translated in some places rod, staff, branch, offshoot, club. <laughs> Join the club. No. A scepter or a tribe. But with a scepter, that, you know, when you think of a, of a king, you know, they have a scepter. Well, that was what the scepter symbolized. It, was, it symbolized the rod, his ability to back up his word with the use of physical force. And normally people, when they think of a scepter, they don't really think of anything. They think, well, that's just what a king holds in his hand. But you think, well, well why, why is he holding that in his hand, you know? Uh, well, that's why it's a symbol of his ability to back up his authority. In fact, Psalm 23, that same word is used, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And most of the time in physical discipline with children, they wouldn't say that's the word that they would choose, that the rod or the spanking has comforted me, father or mother. But, uh, but therefore, we're going to look at just about everything that the Bible says about child discipline, everything it says about the rod. So, and as you know, there are lots of verses in the Bible. I mean, look at this Bible. And there are only about, what is that, about five or six verses in this whole book that talk about the use of the rod. So it's not as though it's an exaggerated thing like all the time and this is just so awful. But it is in there more than once. It's in there enough so that we realize, well, the Lord is trying to say something here. And I want to just draw out four principles from the scripture about the use of physical discipline. Number one, it, it's part of loving your child. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Number two, it can help your child learn wisdom. Proverbs 22:15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And Proverbs 29:15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, helps them to understand things better. Number three, the rod or physical discipline properly used will not cause any damage. Think about it, we're using, in fact, I brought a few things here for you to see tonight. Have a little, teeny little dowel here. And uh, it's something that weighs almost nothing. You pick the most padded part of their body to swat a little bit. It, it's, it hurts in a stinging way, but there's no mass to this, so there's not going to be any any damage, you're certainly not going to, I mean, he puts it sort of in, a, in the extreme here. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. And you think, why did the writer of Proverbs say that? It's because the child screams like they will die. And he says, no, no, they're not going to die. And um, number four, it can help save him from an early death. I mean, who wouldn't want to save their child from an early death? Proverbs 20, 23, 13, and 14. Listen to this. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Because if you guide them correctly at a young age, there will be better decisions that they make later on in their life because they had your input when they were young. Well, I wanted to now just briefly show you the method... Again, it's good to, you know, as the Bible says, 
study all things or, or receive all things, examine all things carefully and retain what is good. So I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit in you will, will guide you to hear these things and other things you'll hear from other sources. But you're the best mom and dad for your child and you trust God to lead you according to the way your child is made. But what was a tremendous thing in our home was having something, basically coming up with something that was defined in how we would discipline our child. So I'm just going to do it right here. We have a little volunteer baby here. Uh, let's just suppose that this is not a child that's small. They did, they've, been, uh, they've been limited in their growth. <laughs> but let's just say this is a two-year-old child. And so we would, uh, uh, usually I had the, the little rod on the top of the refrigerator, just not to tempt them. You know, if it's down low, it might disappear. It might be found in pieces. They're no fools. So we would put it up on the refrigerator just to have one less thing to tempt them. And so I would go to the refrigerator and get this. We would go back to the bedroom. And from age two-ish, a little younger, uh, well, basically once they were no longer had a diaper, just so went from when they were potty trained up to age six, seven. That's, that's kind of the age range of what I'm about to demonstrate. So we would have them, I'd have them come on this side. They would bear the area, drop their drawers and lean over here. And I would swat them twice like this. A little harder than that, but um, I would always do it on myself about however I was going to do it and then see about how long it still hurt. So I know it usually within about five seconds the pain was gone. But it's good to know about how it feels so that you're really in touch with, with what it is you're doing. Then they would uh, pull up their pants and sit here and I'd say the following. Sit on my lap and I'd put my arm around them and if they continue screaming and you realize it is more because they are angry than in pain. In other words, they're disciplining you for having disciplined them. We would say, that's enough. Loud crying. You may cry softly now, unless you'd like another spanking. Uh, would you like another spanking? No. Okay, good. Well, you can cry quietly now then. Uh, why did I have to discipline you? What did you do? And we would have them tell us what it was that we'd spanked them for. Now, some of them were more reluctant to admit that because they wanted to maintain that they were unjustly treated. And so if they admitted what they'd done wrong, it would damage their case. So they would usually, some would try to resist that. But the, the more pliable children would say, well, I hit so-and-so or I, I disobeyed you and stuff like that. But we'd have them say it, and if they couldn't say it, then we would help them put it in the word, into words, and then they would say it. And then I would say, uh, and they'd say, and they'd ask for forgiveness, I'm sorry. And this is a very important part here. I'd say, look me in the eyes. I forgive you, and I love you. And even if you always behave badly, I will continue to love you. But when you misbehave, God has told me that I need to help you by disciplining you. But I have good news. If from now on, you behave yourself and do what mom and dad say, you won't receive any more spankings. It's your decision. Okay, give daddy a kiss and a hug. And then we would continue either hugging or tickling or wrestling or something so that by the end of that time, uh, we are back to where we were before they ever disobeyed in terms of our relationship. If at that point they say, I won't give you a kiss, then it's also disobedience to refuse to come back into fellowship. 
and says, oh, well, do you need a, another spanking? Oh, no. Well, then, give me a hug. You know, it's your decision. We, we can do this all day if you'd like. Normally, if you're a matter of fact about it, you're in control, you're not angry, then, and you're always consistent, the child learns, if I do this, this is what's going to happen, and if I do this, this is what's going to happen, and they eventually make choices that they're happy with because they, it's something they don't like. So that's kind of what you're banking on. Let's, uh, now that I've explained exactly what I mean, because uh, whenever you talk about physical discipline, it, everyone is thinking, yeah, but what does he mean? What, what, what does he mean when he says that? And uh, th we just sort of got to where we, we had this ritual. And it, it was just, just as detailed as that. We were pretty much consistent once we got that set up. The child always knew what was going to happen. In Argentina, there tend a lot of Italian influence in Argentina. So they would yell and scream. They would take off their shoe. And as the kid fled, you know, yelling, they'd try and hit him with the shoe, you know. We knew parents that threw their children up against the wall, put their head in the toilet. These are the Christians. I don't know what the non-Christians say. I had one lady that showed me the back of her leg. She was about 65. The scars on her legs from the the wire that her father had beaten her with when she was a child. So by comparison, we feel like this is really a very merciful way to handle this. It's, on the, it's a very control, in a controlled environment. You should never do it when you're angry or out of control. It's in the same place, in the same way, and always ending up with being restored to fellowship and communion. And you'll find that if you do it the right way, if you do it in a loving way, in a loving way and firm but not out of control and angry that your child forgets it. It's not something that they think, oh yes, my parents beat me. Well, no, it's just a little swat. And uh, one time I asked Thomas, maybe I said this the other week, but, uh, but Thomas was, what, seven? And I said, Thomas, uh, we were driving to school, second grade, I guess it was, and I said, Thomas, would you like to be able to do anything you wished, uh, wanted to and never have to worry about getting a spanking? And there was a pause of silence. Like, what would you do with a million dollars kind of a question. And uh, you could tell he was, the wheels were turning. And he says, well, I don't really like spankings, but there are times when I'm thinking about doing something I shouldn't do. And then I think, no, but if I do that, I'll get a spanking. And then I don't do it. He says, so that's pretty good. So, no. That's seven years old. Uh, children realize that they have a big struggle with sin. Sometimes we think, well, because they're little, their struggle must be little. But it's not. It's always big. You have a big struggle with sin, and you're, you know, look at all the time you've had to learn about the Bible and pray and all of these things, and man, you're still going a couple of rounds with the gorillas in your life, you know. And that little child also, they have things, it's not as though they were meaning to be bad or wanting to be bad, but you know, sometimes the, you just are that way, because he's like you. Chip off the old block. And so a sinner needs restriction, and there must be something to back up your word. Otherwise, your word won't be respected. Let's look a little bit about, about this issue of control, because that's what you're looking to accomplish during this period of time in the first eight, ten years. And we need to provide control, an external imposed control on our children in the first number of years. There are two extremes when it comes to control. A diaper is, is a good illustration of control because that is a, it's a temporary measure until they learn 
how to use the bathroom facilities. And we could talk about two extremes. There might be some parents that say diapers is an artificial, man-made, technological sort of a thing, and we're more into being natural, and so we're not going to use diapers ever. Okay? Well, that will... You can do that. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that you have to use diapers. You're free to do that. But you can already think, now this is going to have repercussions on our social life. This will affect if the grandparents will want to take care of these children, whether or not we can leave them in the nursery. There are all these kind of things that we're going to begin to have trouble with. The other extreme would be diapers for life. Mom is still sending him diapers. He's at college. And every week a big box arrives of the diapers he's supposed to use for the week. Because she, doesn't, she wants to make sure he doesn't have an accident. She's just trying to take care of him. Those are two ex uh, examples of extremes in terms of control. And there's so some parents that are very freedom-oriented. Oh, whatever little Johnny or little Jeffrey wants to do. And then there are others who are so strict and confining that he's never given any freedom. Children need control. What do they need control in? Well, they need to be taught what and when to eat, when to sleep. In Argentina, they just let their children stay up as late as they want to. And, of course, they get crankier and crankier. It's 11 o'clock at night. And, and, but he doesn't want to. You want to go to bed? No. Well, he didn't want to go to bed, so we couldn't put him to bed because he didn't want to. So, well, you're 10 times bigger than him, you know. Uh, you could do this. What clothing to wear? I'll never forget when Annie came out one day and had, very proudly, she had dressed herself. I think her shirt was on backwards, and it was twisted. Her shirt, somehow she'd put her shirt on, and it was absolutely twisted. And her But she was very proud of it, and we were, we were proud of her, but we needed to redo it. They need to know how to act, what is allowed to influence them, TV, friends, and they need to be helped with their attitudes. And it's in those first eight to ten years that you have the best opportunity to help them with that. But if they don't respect your word, if they know you're just all talk, you're just all, well, I'm going to count to three, one, two, three, I'm not going to say it again, I said I'm not going to say it again, I'm going to count again, then they, they, they're no dummies, you know. These are all fake bombs, you know. A bomb's going to go off uh, when five, four, three, two, one, no bomb went off. So they get to be like Russian roulette. This is kind of fun, you know. Looks like three out of four, I win. And they don't never know which one it is, but they can usually kind of tell your temperature level, and they know you won't do anything until you really get hot. So as long as you're cool, they'll disobey. So that condemns you to always getting mad because you don't act early on as soon as you see the attitude of rebellion. So let's look at what's going on here with this thing of control. There's an advanced pressure we put on our children called instruction. We explain to them what it is that we expect of them. I want you to eat at least three bites of the green beans. Before you go outside, I want you to put on your shoes. You, you, you give them instruction. And there are times when one, one of the errors of using physical discipline is that you will spank them for things that you never explained to them, but it was just something you didn't like. And so whenever something happens that you really don't like and you're mad and you think, well, you're going to get it now, first stop and ask yourself, was it something that I ever explained to them that they shouldn't do? Because children are very creative, aren't they? You know, they, they come up with all kinds of things to do that it never occurred to you to tell them not to do that. 
And that's why at that point it's good to back up and say, well, I guess I never told you this, but don't ever do it again, you know. But that instruction. But once you've given that instruction, for example, it's very important to teach a child to come when he's called. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day, a child a little under two years old. They called him to come in the parking lot here, and they went the other way, and cars were going and everything. And they said, well, what do you do in a case like that? says, well, when you're at home, you have to already teach them how to come. So you're sitting over here, and you've decided this is the day we're going to learn how to come. And so Johnny's over there, and you say, Johnny, come here. Johnny looks, and of course he's not going to take you seriously because he's never done this before. And, and uh, so you get up and walk over and say, Johnny, look at me. When Mom calls you with a, with a serious voice, you need to come immediately, okay? We're going to try it again. You go back, sit down. And say, Johnny, come here. He doesn't come. You go over because he's still, you know, this is pre-two years old. And when I call you, what you need to do is, and you bring him over, you need to come like this. So take him back over there. Go ahead and do it. Make it a game. And sit down and call him. And if they're more strong-willed, they're not going to come. And at that point, you go over and give him a little pat right on, right below the diaper, right on that thick, thick, big muscle that uh, can take it. And then you go sit down again, say, Johnny, come here. And you teach them to come, but first with the instruction. And if, there's dis if they react against your word of authority, this is what you need to do. And you can tell this is not just, oh, they forgot or they don't understand what I'm saying. They are rebelling. And as soon as you notice this is an attitude of rebellion, then you address that with the what I have, the advanced pressure, the rear pressure of uh, the physical discipline. And the purpose of that is to get them back on the right track. It's not to punish them as such. It is to correct them and bring them back into line with where they need to be. When is this kind of control necessary? We have here the parent must never allow a child to be tested beyond his ability to comprehend exactly what is off limits. There are things that you, because of the age of the child, you just don't ask of them because you know it's beyond them. The child is two years old. I want you to sit here for an hour and not move and be quiet. Well, you might as well have asked your, your spouse to jump 10 feet in the air. It's just uh, not within them to do that. So you have to discern what is reasonable given their age to uh, ask of them. But what is the immediate result of trying to help your child come under control? In other words, that when you say come, they come. Not the second time, the third time, but the first time. Uh, what's the immediate result of doing this? It is conflict. You have sort of drawn a line in the sand and saying, Mom and Dad now, because of what God has told us to do, we are your authority. You need to do what mom and dad say. And what I would always tell Wallace says, it's not just you. It's not just because we're bigger than you. God, there are people that I have to be uh, do what they say. My pastor, my boss at work, we all are under authority. Because if you can teach a child that all of his life he's under authority, it's not just the big people, the strong people, uh, the lions in the jungle rule. Because someday they're going to be a big, strong person. And they will start acting out on people smaller than them because you've taught them the law of the jungle. We want to teach them the law of the scripture, which says that we all have 
to be under authority, and we all need to be submissive. But initially, that is going to cause a heightened level of conflict in your house, particularly with the children that are stronger-willed, because they don't like this at all. And who was that guy at church that got you onto this thing about the rod? You know, they'll put out a contract on my life. You know, we had it easy before, man. We could do whatever we wanted, and Mom would just yell, and that didn't hurt. And we knew how to wrap them around our fingers. And if, and if Mom was mad, we'd run to Dad, and he'd protect us, and all of these things that allowed disobedience and rebellion to grow like weeds. And Why is it that children desire limits? Because everyone says that uh, children that haven't been disciplined, that haven't been given clear limits, don't feel loved. I mean, that's a pretty general, generally axiomatic truth. But why is it that children desire limits, but at the same time fight against them? Well, the same thing happens with us. Don't we all want to be thin? You know? We, we wish we would eat and exercise and do everything so that we would look like those people on the TV. But at the same time, right in the midst of the battle and when there's that cake or, you know, when it's raining or you don't want to do that exercise, we, we fight against the very things that we decided at other moments would be a good thing to do. So uh, we're at the same boat. So, of course, the little child also, even though it's something that's good and makes them feel good uh, in the long run, in the short run, they will fight against it. It's important for the parent to realize this is normal. This will happen. It, in the, at the outset, it will be difficult, and that's okay. You need to remember that uh, physical discipline isn't just something that's a necessary evil. Uh, it's a necessary measure for an unfortunate situation that your child has inherited your sin nature and needs help. <laughs> So there are two areas where we're kind of looking at in terms of our helping our children. First is that they come under control. That means in those first eight years or so that they get to, you train them to the point where they will respond to your voice or even your glance. You want to tell them about, you were saying that last night, that was good, Wendy, about how you could just look at them. No, I was just mentioning to a couple last night that uh, the children got so used to, they knew because we were faithful, every time there was an issue uh, of disobedience, there was no question, will we be disciplined? They knew they would be disciplined, and it didn't matter if they were in the store, if mom was on the phone, if company was there, if we were at church, it didn't matter. They, were, they knew from the past that they would be disciplined, that we would say, excuse me, and I would take them to a bathroom somewhere or if we were shopping out to the car. So that when we were at someone's home uh, in Argentina, I'm so sorry we keep saying in Argentina, but that's where we were all this time. But they have this thing where they'll point like this, and that means watch out, uh, be careful. Ojo is what they would say. And uh, so it was just kind of watch out. So we would be at someone's home, and the children would begin to get riled up with other kids or too loud or something. And all I would have to do was to look over and do like this. 
and immediately they would stop. There didn't have to be this threatening, this, you know, uh, this scene in front of company or us at their home. They knew that if they didn't, mother would say, excuse me, and I would get up and take them and we would go to the bathroom to have a discipline time. I had a ride in the car. Oh, she asked, she asked me, did I take the ride with me? No, I did not. I had a ride in my car, and so when we were shopping and we had to go back, yes, I would do it so that we could keep shopping. But in other people's homes, I did not. But it would, I would use my hand then. That is the only time. Were you going to talk about not using the hand? We had the rule uh, in our home that we would not use our hand to discipline because it's too available. And, you know, you can just, in anger, let them have it. And so we always had that rule that we would not punish with our hand uh, because there's, there's that time of walking to get the ride where you can collect yourself and the time of going to privacy. I don't know if he's going to say this, but we always disciplined in private, never in front of the other children. This was a private matter between us and the one child. Yeah, we didn't want to turn it into gladiatorial games, you know, with the, with the fans, the siblings cheering in the stands and, you know, doing this thing. So, But what really helped me so much was having something very, very clear that when we were going, what was the trigger? When would we go from not doing anything for, as far as physical discipline? What, what, what would trigger to say, okay, now we're going to do it? And that was just this issue of rebellion. If I, say, if I communicate clearly, come here or do this or do that, and, and they either pretend they didn't hear, or if, and I have to make sure they, they did hear. That's why we would sometimes, before we tell them to do something, we'd say, look at me. And we train them to do that. And, uh, and then I'd tell them, because they're looking right at me. So then you know, they know. And then if they refuse to do it, say, well, let's go to the bedroom. But just that calm, and if at that point they say, they repent, oh, no, 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 I'll do it now, I'll do it now, great, great, next time, you remember that, but you already said no, so we're going to the bedroom. You want to teach them to respond to the first time you say it. Uh, not be something that you have to have a long, they will do whatever you train them to do. So if you train them that the first three times are free, freebies, they'll take them every time. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say that sometimes it does happen that you have given them instructions and you have disciplined them on something. And then maybe, depending on age, it, it may be a few months before that same thing happens again. And so, you know, I, I don't want us to communicate that, okay, hey, to the bedroom, because they may have forgotten. And I'm not sure, you know, if it's something that hasn't happened uh, a lot. And so I will say to them, do you remember the rule about hitting or spitting or or whatever, you know, it may be. And, you know, at that point, if they respond, oh, yes, and they do it, everything's fine. Because sometimes there has lapsed, you know, a time has gone by and it's not like, oh, that's it, you know, let's... Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Is that clear? How old were your children when you did the thing with looking at them with... I have to repeat it because... At least three, uh, I think. Three and, uh, and up. The youngest would have been three. She has a question of, uh, she has a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, it's tough to, because everything kind of gets going. At, at that age, you're still kind of, it's never going to be a neat sort of a thing when they're that age. You're just kind of, but there is a certain amount of grace in there, so at least if you just kind of do it the best you can, they, they do eventually get it. The one-year-old is 
not going to be laughing and cheering you on. You, you, you can do it in the same room with a one-year-old. We're talking about when it's, you know, when they're at the point where they're going to make fun of them later or laugh or enjoy it, you know, that you do it in private. Yeah, that's, that's more uh, later on. The rebellion that I deal with is one, my daughter is four and a half. She'll cooperate with us. She'll do as we tell her. But it's in the attitude where she kind of looks at us. Or when we ask her to uh, get dressed again after playing dress-ups, she'll snatch her shirt from us or something like that. She will respond to correction, a verbal correction. But w would that be something that... What do you do about the attitudes? When do you want to answer that one? About the attitude? Uh, part of the attitude you can correct and part of it you cannot. You can correct what they do, their actions. You can con correct them from not slamming the door or snatching things from you. That part you can say, let's do this again. I, I, we've done this so many times, I can't remember. Have you already talked about when they eat? You know, when they would sit down and they'd complain about the food and uh, Henry would say, well, let's start over. You know, I want you to go out and come back in and say, oh, Mom, thanks for cooking instead of, we got to eat this. So there are things that you can correct. But I have heard people in their disciplining that did not think their child was repentant and so they'd spank them harder. You can't correct that. You can hurt their spirit doing that. So you just have to leave that with the Lord. If they go through the actions, if they say they're sorry, and if they respond properly, that's it. You've done your part, and God can deal with their heart. We also had, uh, when our, one of our children was two years old, about Thomas, and he would get in these foul moods. But, uh, well, who doesn't get in foul moods, you know? But anyway, he was, uh, I'm sure he inherited it from me. But he would go around just grumpy, it just like a black cloud would follow him around. And he'd have this awful look on his face. And, and so I tried talking to him, and that didn't help. And, and we tried uh, disciplining him, and that didn't help. And we tried time out, because it had worked with Walt. We'd just say, you have to sit on your bed until you can come out with a happy face. Well, Tom's being there all day. But uh, we, we were at our wit's end. We, we tried absolutely everything we had in our toolbox, and he still was in the, would go through these times. And then one day somebody asked us, uh, well, do you think it might be something spiritual? You know, here I am, the missionary. You know, <laughs> Never occurred to me, you know. <laughs> so uh, I thought, well, well, the next time it happens, we'll, we'll pray for him, pray over him. So the next time he was walking around in a foul mood, call him over, Thomas, let's... Why don't we try praying? And uh, we prayed and told whatever it, evil spirit might be bothering him or something like that to go away. You know, never quite know how to pray those things, but we just prayed for him the best we knew how. And we opened our eyes, and it was completely gone. And he could tell, too, that it was a huge change. And we kind of looked at each other like, wow, we found something that worked. <laughs> so after that, he would come up and ask for prayer. Uh, <laughs> And, and this was just like at two years of age. So there, there are going to be different things at different times. Yes, your question. How much, if any, grace do you give to a child who clearly is in rebellion or disobedience, but they're three years old and they only did it or they were very strongly influenced by their five-year-old sibling who led them into it or even instigated that? Uh, and you would have disciplined the five-year-old, you're saying? Clearly the five-year-old, but what about the three-year-old who also still did something that they knew was wrong, but only because of the five-year-old's influence? 
Yeah, again, that might be something to take a look at. It's different the first time than it might be the times after that. You might want to, because there are only three, talk with them and say, just because he did this doesn't make it right for what you did. You know, so it might be the first time you use it as a teaching time. But then if it happens again, he used up his grace. I saw. How many times do you discipline for the same repetitive sin? Well, we sort of felt like that five to ten times a day was enough. <laughs> that after ten, we figured, well, we have made our investment in the child's life for today. And that after that time, using distraction or time out or different things, and very seldom was it that much. But every once in a while, you'd have a really rough day. Wendy? We, we did have the limit of 10 just because uh, it was exhausting, for, you know, for both of you. But we would never let the child win. The child must not win. Even, I mean, you know, if it's there wanting to stay and do something and you're saying, come over here, and uh, our rule was before, you know, they had to do it or we would discipline them. But if we've done it 10 times at that point, I will pick up the child and they will do it. They will obey, but I won't spank anymore after 10 times. I always win. <laughs> you, you have to. You have to. As an authority figure. Yeah. You know, you have to be careful what you ask of them. And you try, uh, since you know that every time they rebel against your word, you have to be more careful with your words. You know, parents would say, well, we're going to leave you here when we go on vacation. You know, for two weeks. You're just two years old, but we're, we'll leave you here with the dog. You know, well, that's not true. You're not going to do that. And so they begin to realize that, that you're lying most of the time. I know most people don't have this problem, but... I have a short-term memory loss, and, and uh, I forget sometimes what I've told her yeah. or, or how many times I've told her or have I told her that as it applies to this. or it right. to, And so I'm not really sure where my lines of discipline should start and stop. And I'm kind of afraid that I'm ruining her because I'm, I'm bouncing around and I'm inconsistent, or maybe I'm inconsistent. And... Well, with some of these principles, hopefully you can, you can be bit by bit more consistent. There, if there is a serious doubt that it is just uh, a knowledge problem that you haven't told them, or it's been long enough that you, they may have forgotten or you've forgotten, you may want to explain it more clearly. But as long as you are self-controlled, you don't discipline in anger, that's one of the rules of the, of the rod, the laws of the rod that we have here. I'll go over in a second. But as you are more in control and back up your word, and normally also you, you're watching for that rebellion because if they're rebelling, it's because they have something to rebel against. This isn't pure ignorance. It's like, huh? When there's, uh, especially when there's clear rebellion, you know they've heard you and you know they're going the other way, then that's what, you're, what you've been looking for. That's what you're trying to help them with. The main point is, is just looking for that rebellious attitude the laws of the rod, it is prohibited for the child to touch or play with the rod because uh, they will lose it or break it or they will try to get rid of this thing. It is a symbol of your, your authority. It's like the scepter. It's not that you're the big cheese. It's that you have been commissioned by God to be a help to them. So it's not that you're, you can do anything you want and they have to do what you say. It's that you can't do anything you want to either. You are also under God's authority.
The parents should avoid joking around with the rod. Sometimes I would fall into the temptation of being Zorro, you know, and swishing it around. And one time I even busted the thing as I was doing my Z in the air and, and um, had to be reminded that it's the parents should avoid joking around with the rod. Third, it should never be used in anger. If you are not under control, then you're not allowed by Henry to use that thing, okay? It's better to just calm down or time out or something like that. The child should learn to cooperate with the discipline process, uh, which for some children is harder than for others. Children that are very sensitive to pain, we had one that would just stand there and dance. <laughs> you know, I'd say, and we would say, you need to come over and get over my lap, and they would go, <laughs> and so I would go over, and I would go over on their, on their little leg, and I'd go, and I'd go sit down again, and I'd say, uh, come over here, and they wouldn't, they would dance a while longer, and I'd go over, and I did it about three, four, maybe five times, and when I feel like that's enough for today, I would go over and make them come, and one way or the other, they would get that spanking. And it was kind of difficult the first couple of times. But then, in the time talking, then I sit them down and say, do you enjoy this? How many did you get? Wasn't that eight or nine? Yeah. Would you like to know how to get the minimum next time? <laughs> All you really had to have was just two. You got seven or eight. Tell you what, why don't we practice how you can do it so it won't be so bad next time. Why don't we just pretend now, I'm going to sit here and let's pretend you did something wrong. You're coming in the door, you know. And, and I say, come over here and, and get over my lap and you do that because we're just playing a game now and I pretend like I spank them and okay, now get in my, sit in my lap and, and then we'll talk and then we'll hug and, and then we'll play some. And so we practice it when it's not a discipline issue so that I know that they know exactly what we're shooting for. It may take a while, but eventually, to the degree they can participate and cooperate with the discipline process, it does them more good. You don't want it to be a giant wrestling shouting match, although maybe at the outset there will be a little bit of irregularities. A child should never be spanked on the run. Come back here, I'm going to get you. You need to be in control first of yourself. And it should always be in accord with the manner you have established. That the child knows ahead of time, mom and dad don't do whatever they want to. Well, we're, we're, hey, we're out of our time tonight, so. But uh, we're going to close with the word of prayer because we really need it. And uh, may the Lord have mercy on us. Lord, thank you so much that you have found ways to discipline us and to guide us back into the right path. And just in the same way that you love us enough to discipline us, to back up your word when your word has not been enough to keep us from sin, Lord, you've found ways to allow pain in our lives that has been corrective and instructive and kept us from self-destructing. Help us, Lord, to learn how to be that kind of help in our children's lives that they need. Not losing control ourselves, not in anger, not in yelling, not in abusive talk, but calmly administering a small amount of corrective and preventative pain to forestall uh, greater evils and bad decisions later on. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.